0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized
1: reading recommendations. This is episode 125, and we are recording on March 28th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and the flu. Hey.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, my house has been invaded by the flu in the form of me, in my body. I brought it in. <laughs> <laughs> so unfun. I know, it, but, but I will say that I... Got sick in that way that, like, you're fine at 4.30 and at 5 o'clock you're dying. That sort of thing. And it happened to me at the march in D.C. (gasps) on Pennsylvania Avenue. No. (laughs) So I can say that I have thrown up on Pennsylvania Avenue, (laughs) which seemed appropriate Uh, looking back. It seems like a... a story i'm going to hold dear to my I room. mean
1: you left it all at the march basically.
0: I did I did on Trump's stuff
1: <laughs> Well so now that's a great story for when you're feeling better Yeah
0: yeah so i'm you know i'm recovering but here i am i sound you know a little book right after dark Yeah i was just going to say you're very delilah
1: today so that's fine We're going to
0: have a very um, soothing Yeah podcast. <laughs> I, is it the kind of flu where you can read or where you're just like conked out <clears throat> Um for the first few days, it was very much there was no reading happening. Instead, I watched British gardening shows, of which yes. there are several on Netflix. What? Yes, I no idea. You're um, gonna have to text me the names of those shows. And they're yeah, and they're apparently like really big deals over there, and they like go to people's houses and redo their gardens. And oh it's my like, gosh. Anyway, they're they're quite enjoyable and very soothing, as the best of British television is. So that's what I did. And then I I read. I've been reading for the past couple of days, picking up and putting down. In between sleeping. <laughs> Indeed. What are you reading right now? Um, well, I am finding audiobooks to be very nice mm. at the moment. So I just started The Man Who Loved Books Too Much by Allison Hoover Bartlett, which was literally like I had the energy to open my Libby app and download an audiobook. <laughs> and this was the first one. So that's what I went with. Um, and it, it ended up being really interesting. It's about a, a rare book thief named John, John Charles Gilkey. And this is an older book. It came out a couple of years ago. Um, in 2009, um, so Allison Hoover Bartlett is a journalist who decided to like investigate him. He went to jail several times for like writing bad checks for buying rare books, and then eventually for art for for it's essentially theft, like fine art theft, stealing of rare books. Um, so she like takes a deep dive into the the world of rare booksellers and dealers and thieves. And um, one of the rare booksellers calls himself a bibliodick, which is mm-hmm. like a, a detective who focuses on rare book theft, which I thought was really charming and goofy. Um, but it's just, a, you know, every the whole book smells like vanilla and mold. <laughs> Not really, <laughs> because it's an audiobook. But that's the thing that, like, I'm feeling very, like, oh, I'm in, like, a nice room of old books, and I'm listening to this hilarious story about book thieves who, like, take themselves so seriously. And I mean, of course it is a crime, and people who are victims of that, it's a terrible experience. But also it's kind of, like, it's so heisty. I don't mm-hmm. know. I really like it. What about you?
1: I, I'm, I've i met Ken Sanders, the guy who calls himself the bibliogist. You know him? But yeah, because I was working in Salt Lake City at um, the King's English in, let's see, it probably was around 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, so probably right around when that book came out. And he owned a bookstore there, a used bookstore, and, uh, and so like when we did, you know, salt lake city bookstore things he was always around That's amazing. So. <laughs> yeah yeah i've met him um let's see i'm reading this book called the unquiet by makila everett which is a ya about two parallel earths well they're not really parallel they know mm, how to how to explain so so imagine if there was another earth and you could like see it and your double was there And the way that you got from one earth to the another was this like weird portal in the middle of the ocean. Like that's that spot is where the two earths sort of overlap. And you could go to that other earth or like communicate with that other earth via satellite and whatnot. Um, And so, so that's sort of the premise of this book. Um, But at the moment that the book starts, there's this thing called the silence where it used to be that the people on each earth would like talk to their doubles on the other and be like friends and whatnot. Um, But there's this, you know, sort of armistice called the silence where they communications have broken down. And in the meantime, people are being sent from one earth to the other to replace their doubles and so you're following this girl Lerial who is um been trained to like infiltrate and replace her double without anybody knowing it uh which is super interesting it's kind of like the contemporary YA version of the Mirror Empire books by Cameron Hurley now I'm like having all these thoughts about trying to round up all of these like parallel dimension books yeah, because yeah. it there's like kind of a thing right it's kind of a thing uh that I never really thought about but but now I've read a couple of them and so now I need to make a roundup of them so stay tuned I'm about halfway through no a third a third third through. It's interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen next. So all right so today's show is a little bit different from our normal this is a personalized reading recommendation show which typically means you send us questions about what you should read next what your book group should read next what you should give to a friend or relative and we will find good books for you uh today we are doing a Neil Gaiman read-alikes show because we have had yay because we have had so many people ask for Neil Gaiman read-alikes over the course of doing this show we figured why not just do a whole show about that um But if you have other non-Neil Gaiman read-alike questions, (laughs) you can send them to us either via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. Or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every show. If you have a time-sensitive question and you would like your response by a certain date, please note that in the very first line of the form or the subject of the email. We do our best to get to them in time, but it's not always possible. Uh, I will sometimes email you back if you send a question with a really close deadline or we're not going to get to it uh, on the air. Or if you've asked a question that we've addressed a couple times before, I might email you a response. So keep an eye out for those. Um, so what we're going to do is talk about American Gods. And then we will do our first sponsor. And, yeah, I I thought it was going to be – I wanted to start off with American Gods. Because the pick I had for this one came immediately into my brain. Mm-hmm. I fought Amanda for it, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> um. But so, yeah, my pick for American Gods, a read-alike, is The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. They both happen to have gods in the title, so that's your first tip-off. Um, but Nikki Drayden's book takes place in South Africa, and it's a future where things are actually pretty good for humanity. Like, people have personal robots, and um, the government is harnessing renewable energy, and, you know, there's not really war, and things are, like, mm, things are going well. Um, however, not a everybody is happy about this. There's this ancient demigoddess who thrives on sort of fear and terror, and she is not doing great because everyone is too happy. Um, There's also some artificial intelligence burgeoning sentience going on. There's a new drug that has really weird side... Effects, and there's a young girl who is maybe also a demigoddess trying to figure out her way in life. Um, there's a really lovely queer teen love story. There is a really amazing pop diva who got, has her own timeline. There's all of these different threads, much like American Gods in that you have a lot of players on the stage, even though American Gods focuses mostly on shadow. But in um, Prey of Gods, you jump around to all of the different players, and you got all of these different views of what it would be like if forgotten gods and goddesses and new ones We're interacting with humanity. So it has all of those great sort of what-if feels that American Gods does so well. Um, And this is a debut which continues to shock me. It's so good. Uh, So that is The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden.
0: Okay, so I went with uh, The Talented Ribkins by Lottie Hubbard which came out last year from Melville House. And I'm really amazed that it didn't get more buzz than it did. It's got like a Toni Morrison blurb on it. It's wow. so, And it's so great. Like, it's so much fun. Um, so this is a magical road trip novel, very similar to American Gods. Uh, it's about a 72-year-old 70, a man named Johnny Ribkins. He's a black man living in Florida um, who has one week to come up with money that he's been stealing from his mobster boss or he's going to, you know sleep with the fishes or whatever it is they (laughs) say, (laughs) whatever cliche. Um, So he starts traveling around the South, uh, digging up holes that he has buried over the course of his life, uh, where he's buried money and treasure and stuff like that um, so that he can collect enough money together to get out of this bind. The twist here is that Johnny has a superpower. He can make maps of anything. He doesn't have to have been there or seen a place to make a map. It doesn't even have to be a place for him to make a map. And everyone in his family is like that. Like his brother could climb walls. Um, his father could see colors that other people couldn't see. And in the course of him driving around trying to collect the money from um, holes that he's dug throughout his life, he goes to his brother's house. His brother is dead, uh, has been dead for a couple of years. And he discovers And he discovers when he goes to his brother's house to get uh, money out of the backyard that he has a niece that he didn't know that he had, um, that his brother, uh, his brother's wife, you know, had a daughter, and so he uh, takes the girl with him. <laughs> like her, her mother is like, I've been raising this daughter by myself for 13 years, and here you come, want to dig up my backyard? You take her and you go introduce her to her people, basically, uh, so she can learn about herself because she also has a superpower, and it's that she can catch anything that's thrown at her. Um, So he agrees that he's going to take her with him. And so they go off, like, on this. He takes a 13-year-old girl off on this journey, um, ostensibly to introduce her to his family. um, But in reality, to, like, find money to get him out of this, like, mobster situation. And along the way, he starts telling her about his history and about her father and their family. And through that, you discover that uh, during the Civil Rights Movement, Johnny and his brother and a bunch of their friends organized something they called the Justice Committee, where they were using their talents and their superpowers to assist the civil rights efforts. So like Johnny would use his map-making skills to help um, like the Freedom Riders map their way through the South and find towns they could stay in safely and things like that. And then eventually they realized they needed money to really get at the power structures that were causing civil rights issues. And the only way for them to get it that they could figure out was by thieving. And that's how they got into crime. And then it all kind of devolved from there. Um, so it's like this really funny and bizarre kind of road trip journey through Florida um, with these mobsters who like don't know what to do with Johnny because he's an old man right like he's 72 and they know he's got this skill but they don't they, they underestimate him and the way that people underestimate the elderly um, and he just like constantly gives them the slip and these mobsters get like more and more upset with him but they don't want to kill him because they know he's got his count it's just it's like combination heist American gods, um, with these really inter- – and like magical realism. It's got – it's not uh, it's not like a comic book or anything like that. Um, and she's dealing with a lot of really big social issues, uh, but it's just such like an adventure and a hilarious one. So that's The Talented Ribkins by Lottie Hubbard.
1: I need to read that. It's so yeah. funny. Like I don't understand
0: where it went like last year when it came out. I well, didn't hear anyone talk about it.
1: Yeah. No, I don't. I don't think I had heard of it until you told me you were reading it for this show. So – we will fix that. Um okay, so our first sponsor, it's us. It's Insiders. So, I can't believe it, but Book Riot Insiders is coming up on its 1-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Which, like, how has it been a year since we first launched this? Um, If you have somehow missed hearing about it in that year, (laughs) it is basically Booktopia, and you're invited. Uh, We have the very fancy-schmancy new release index, which lets you see really exciting and interesting books that are upcoming releases. Um, You can build your own wish list. You can get links to find out more about them. Liberty, who is our all-the-books-slash-new-books goddess, curates it and leaves little notes sometimes on some of her favorites we also have multiple exclusive podcasts and newsletters just for subscribers you could win swag um and at the very top level which is pretty much full all the time except for new spots that open up at the beginning of each month that's the epic level um you can be part of our insiders forum which i know you have heard us talk about um and if you're a novel level member, you get first crack at those epic spots. So there's a lot of good stuff going on at all of the levels, and you can find out more by going to bookriot.com slash insiders. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it's going to be a year. That's crazy. It's crazy. Um, all right. So the next book we're going to talk about is comps for Stardust. Amanda, what did you pick?
0: So... <clears throat> um- I actually have not read Stardust. I've seen the movie, so I feel like I've got a grasp of the basic story. But I wanted to go for some, like, supernatural adventure in a fantasy universe. So I picked Winter Song by S.J. Jones, which is a duology, and the second one just came out this year, so you can read both of them at the same time. Um, and this is about a 19-year-old girl named Lysel who lives in Bavaria in the 18th century, I think? Um, and her parents are brilliantly gifted musicians, but her father is an alcoholic, and they've fallen on really hard times, and so they live in this village, and they're running an inn, just trying to stay afloat, Um, and Lysel and her brother are also really gifted musicians. is a brilliant composer. Her brother's an excellent violinist, and when the book opens, they're trying to prepare her brother for an audition with a uh, courtly, like, music, what do you call him? The teacher? Yeah, Um, who's going to Hopefully take him away and make him famous and save all of their livelihoods and all of that. Um, and while all of that is happening, her grandmother is kind of lurking in the background talking about the, like the goblin king and the old ways and folklore and all of these, uh, you know, like magic and spri- spilling salt along all the windowsills to keep the goblins out and all this kind of stuff. And everyone just kind of ignores her. Um, but then Kath, her other sister, who doesn't have any musical talent, but is very beautiful, is taken by the goblins when they're in a market. Um, and Lysol has to journey into the underworld to rescue her sister and bring her back to the world of the living Um, while she is doing that while she's like down into in the underworld it's very like the labyrinth if you're i'm sure you're feeling this kind of story Mm -hmm. Um, so she goes down into the underworld to get her sister and the goblin king agrees to let kath go if lysol will stay in her place because he is part of this you know very kind of old magic old earthy magic where winter will not end and spring can't come and bring life back to the earth unless a maiden gives up her life to the underworld. So, um, while all of this is happening, Lysol is like fallen in love with the Goblin King. So she agrees to stay and become his wife, and then they have this like really epic underworldly romance um, in a very similar way to a star and the boy Tristan. Is that the boy from Star Wars? Mm-hmm. Um, in this, like, can we be together? I don't know. I live in the sky. Well, <laughs> um, I live underground. Except the underground part here is a little more dark, obviously. Uh, and so I'm not going to, like, spoil how it ends and what ends up happening to them. But they do try to make it work. They try to have some kind of love. But while she's underground, Lysel is fading away. And that's kind of the point, right? he, Like, she's supposed to stay there and fade so that her life force can, like, bring life to the world above. Um, but... The difference is that the Goblin King likes this one. Like he does this every season. He's, he has a new maiden who he brings underground to do this too, but he really loves her and doesn't know what to do. And and like composition is a really big part. Their whole romance is built on uh, making music together. And so composition, which I know nothing about, is interwoven into this uh, bo- into both books into the duology. Uh, but she makes it so like accessible, and you get so invested in like pieces of music, even if you have no idea. Like I don't know what a. Trouble clef is. I don't know what any of that stuff is, um, but like it's fascinating, and I really got into it. So that's Winter Song by S. J. Jones.
1: I can't wait to read the sequel to that. I did really love that book. Um, I was thinking about... Stardust is actually probably my favorite Neil Gaiman book. Because um, he tends to be a little hit or miss for me. And But Stardust gives me all of those warm, fuzzy, fairy tale feelings. Like, it's it's one of those books where you're like, surely this has a story that has been around forever and retold a million times. But, like, no. It came out of his brain. And... It's just like so fun and magical, and has so many great, like little tiny world building details and characters, and you're just like, ugh, it's so, it's so fairy tale, it's so magic. Um, and the other book that gives me those feels is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones, which probably a lot of you are already familiar with, but I couldn't not pick it because they just, they just feel exactly the same to me, um, and that's a feeling that I love having. So Howl's Moving Castle is about Sophie, who is the eldest of three daughters. And in like the fairy tale logic, that means that she knows better than to go seeking adventure because she's going to fail, right? Like in the fairy tales, like it's always like one, two, three, like first daughter or first son goes and like doesn't do it right. Second daughter goes, second son goes, doesn't do it right. Third daughter is the one that gets to do the fun things. So Sophie's like, well, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to sit here and make hats for my stepmother in my stepmother's shop um, because that's you know, what I'm going to do. Like I'm, I'm, I have condemned myself to a life of boringness. Um, so this is sort of what Sophie's life is like. And then one day a customer comes into the hat shop and she gets in a little spat with her and it turns out to be a wicked witch who puts a spell on her that turns her into a little old lady. And Sophie's like, well, shoot, like I've already gotten to the end of, I guess what my life is going to be. So now I might as well go on an adventure. Like, what do I have to lose? And so there's also, in the meantime, a wizard has moved into town in his little moving castle, and um, and he has a reputation for breaking the hearts of young women, and she's super concerned for one of her sisters. She doesn't want her sisters to fall prey to the wizard, who she is sure is evil. So she's like, I'm just going to go over there and see what's about that and maybe, like, get him out of town and 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 deal with this because, again, what do I have to lose? Um, and there's a fire demon, and there's the Witch of the Waste, and then Sophie just finds herself sort of living in the castle with the wizard under false pretenses of being a little old woman, and there's, a, like, an animated skull, and it just has all of these fun, like little perfect details that make it so magical and so entertaining. And there's also layers to this story. There's even like a little bit of a call out to our world. And I just think it's so clever and so enjoyable. And this is the book when I get sick and I'm just like, oh, I cannot live. I just feel awful. This is the book I reread almost every time because it just makes me feel better. Um, So that's Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne-Jones.
0: All right. Ocean Mm -hmm. at the End of the Lane. What a weird book that one is. It is. I was trying to – thinking of – you know, when you're trying to come up with, like, read-alikes for a thing, you you really have to get at like, the meat of what the Mm -hmm. book is. And at the end of the day, I was like, really, this is just a book about a little boy who meets a more interesting little girl. (laughs) Right? Like, that's what it is. Is that terrible? You're kind of not wrong. No, you're not wrong. So The Ocean at the End of the Lane is about a little boy whose neighbors – He befriends a neighbor girl um, who turns out to be, like, supernatural in in that, you know, game anyway, where everything is, like, a universe contained within itself. Anyway, so I picked a book that's actually just about an interesting little girl. I went with Akata Witch by Nnedi Okorafor. Um, There is no little boy telling you that she's interesting. She just is interesting. So um, this little girl, Sunny, is 12. And she's from New York. Well, she was born in Nigeria and then lived in New York until she was 12 or or like 9, I think, and then moved back to Nigeria. So she's got some like, I don't know where I'm really from and like I don't culture. What is it? I don't know. Um, Stuff going on. And she's also albino. And so she's very sensitive to the sun. All she wants to be able to do is play football Um, and like get through a day of school without somebody commenting about her eye color and all of that. But, but, you know, kids are mean. And so she can't, and she can't play football during the day. So her brothers do like play with her at night sometimes, but you know, her life isn't exactly what she wants it to be. And um, so she's living in Nigeria now and she's dealing with all of that. And then she befriends a boy from her school, Orlu, and his friend, Chichi, who's the girl who like lives in her neighborhood. And in doing that, she gets like really plunged into this world of what are called the leopard people, which are people with magical supernatural abilities who live all over the world. And they have the, – it's it's almost like a alternate universes. Like they have their own markets and their own big cities and their own laws. Um, and in this world, the thing that is like your biggest – not defect, but the thing that stands out most about you is the thing that is your most like potent magical power. So her, um, her albin, albinism Al, – yeah, albinism yes. – Um, becomes like this, her her power is that she can move between worlds. Like she can move between um, the other side, I guess, basically, and our world really easily. And she's what they call a free agent because in this universe, uh, magic is like a spiritual inheritance. So when you become a magical person, it's usually because your parents are, but her parents are not. And so she doesn't have anybody to like guide her on this path of what it's like to be a magical person. Um, So you follow her on these like really fun adventures with her friends um, as they go through like training and learn how to use their powers, um, and then they get the adults commissioned them to form a coven, like an official coven, and to track down a man named the Black Hat who's been kidnapping and maiming children in Nigeria in their city. Um, and they're very much like, I'm sorry, we're 12, and you want us to do what now? Um, but she has a connection to the Black Hat through her grandmother that she finds out about. And so it's really important that it, that it is her and like this set of children who go off and try to defeat this villain. And so, um, the ocean at the end of the lane is also about children going off to defeat like an ancient evil. Uh, so I thought that this was like a good comp. It's not quite as dark. Like the ocean at the end of the lane is is very dark for a book that it's about like an eight year old. Um, and this one is a bit more fun. Like it's a bit uh, more, I don't know, colorful and like less ravens are going to come peck your eyes out <laughs> kind of a thing <laughs> um, which is I'm pretty sure a scene that I did not make out for motion at the end of the line um, so it's not quite as dark but it's got a lot of the same themes uh, and the same kind of man like kids are so able like they have such abilities to see things adults don't see and to do things adults forget that they can do um, so that's Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor and the second book Akata Warrior is out now. Do you know what I found
1: out in the course of researching from this show is that some people believe that Ocean at the End of the Lane is really sort of a fictionalized version of Neil Gaiman's childhood in Scientology? What? And I did not know that his parents were Scientologists. So that, that like, if you Google it, there's a bunch of people talking about it um, in reviews from when the book came out, which I had zero clue that that I was. I thought
0: that was a story he wrote for Amanda Palmer. Well, I guess those things aren't mutually exclusive. I mean,
1: I was going to say, yeah, like, I, I perhaps... <laughs> Perhaps both. Um, But yeah, not a thing that I knew before I started researching for this show. So that was interesting. Um, Yeah, this book is an odd one. Um, and, And I had a really hard time pinning down. It was actually funny. I was talking to other people about what the feel of the book was and literally everybody i talked to had a slightly different they're like no it's about this and i was like well i thought it was about this and they're like no it's and then the third person's like no you're all wrong it's about this (laughs) And i was like well okay so basically this is like a shifty shifty book and i'm just gonna go with what i thought of it like my strongest memory of it is that you have you do have this childhood adventure but then you also have this adult perspective kind of coming in um and which is what makes it sort of an odd book, because like, what audience is that book for? Like, would you give it to an eight year old? Like, I just don't know. Um, and so I was also thinking about Signal to Noise by Silvia Moreno Garcia, which has both a teenage storyline and a grown up storyline and gets a bit dark and is about like how magic can make things better but also make things worse um which is are kind of like my overriding memories of ocean at the end of the lane like don't at me if that's not what you think because as (laughs) we have discovered everybody remembers something slightly different about that book um so signal to noise is set in mexico city um and the the ya sort of well teen storyline is the word i want The teen storyline starts in the late 80s. Um, And Meche, who is the main character, is really awkward. She's 15. She's not popular at school. She doesn't really know how to make friends. Um, Except for that she does have these two friends who are also sort of outcasts for different reasons. um, Sebastian and Daniela. And one of the things that brings them together is music. So she uh, has... um, They have a record player. They have their favorite vinyl. And one of the things they do is they get together. And they listen to music, and she sort of discovers that they can make magic happen with the music. So there's the summer where they're like, oh man, like when you're 15 and, and, And your life is not super great. Like, you're going to make some bad choices if you figure out that you can do magic. And then the present day, well, it's like 2009. So it's 20 years later. She's coming back to Mexico City for her estranged father's funeral. Um, And the storyline sort of goes back and forth between the two perspectives. And you start to find out what exactly has happened because... In in the in her current storyline, she doesn't speak to Sebastian and Daniela anymore. And she like doesn't want anything to do with her hometown. And you're like, oh my gosh, what happened here? Um, so the story is you finding out what it was that has happened and like, can she sort of put the ghosts of her past to rest? Like, what is she gonna do now that she's back? Will she stay? What is her life like? All of that stuff. Um, and it 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 does have a feel like the similar feel to me. It's it's a little um it, it, no, yeah. It's like it's our world, but with magic and it's got some darkness and it's got some kids and it's got some grownups. Yeah. Like in my head, that's it's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> so similar ingredients, but very different results. Um, and I really loved Signal to Noise. In fact, Amanda read it first and then I grew to love it as well. So this is this is a get booked favorite. Uh, so yes, that's Signal to Noise by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia.
0: Coraline
1: Coraline oh man Coraline did just freak me right out it's same
0: (laughs) (laughs) what have you got I remember trying to like decide whether or not to let my kids watch it
1: Mm -hmm. they just
0: turned seven and I was like I don't I don't think I don't think they're ready for this. I don't think they're ready for for like I'm not ready for (laughs) (laughs) it all right I went with Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan McGuire uh which is the first book in the Wayward Children series this is not a children's book um YA I guess you could consider it YA whereas Coraline is you know just a children's book Um, but there is a you know kids who go through doors to other worlds kind of thing going on here Um, and it takes place in Eleanor West's Home for Wayward Children which is a boarding school for kids who have slipped through secret doors tumbled down rabbit holes um, gone into you know other worlds like Narnia type stuff, uh, gone into the back of their wardrobes and ended up in a wintry palace or whatever, um, and then been sent home and don't know how to live because they've spent all of this time in a magical universe learning how to survive there. And then they've come back for whatever reason, either the world kicked them out or they, they escaped or whatever. Um, and now they don't know how to function in this normal world. And a lot of them are just trying to get back to the magical lands that they have come to, to call home um and of course they can't go back uh and so their parents send them to Eleanor West home so that's what's and she the, the like headmistress head i guess or owner of the boarding school is one of those children also who has who lived in like a magical place and then came back so all of these kids know like what the other kids are going through and how hard it is to readjust nobody believes you you know like if you're gone for 5 years and then suddenly you reappear on your porch your parents aren't going to believe that like oh you spent all your time in wonderland they're going to think you were kidnapped by a sociopath right and so um no one believes what they say. And so they they, they all come to this home um, for that kind of comfort of like, these people know what I'm going through. And so Nancy is the main character and she's a new kid. She was, she tumbled into some form of the underworld where there's like vampires and all this kind of stuff. Um, and she is back. Uh, and so she is in this boarding school and she's the the eyes through which we see a series of murders. And this is actually, it's kind of like a murder mystery really, or like a trapped house to Agatha Christie murder mystery because they're all in this one school this one house together um and the students start start being kind of picked off uh and in kind of increasingly more and more gruesome ways and so you you you, is it one of the other kids is it one of the teachers is somebody sneaking onto the campus and doing these things um you don't know and so you kind of go back and you get like information about the backstories of the other children and the the worlds that they um were in and what it maybe did to their psyches uh, and what they brought home with them. Some of them very much don't want to go back because the places where they went were terrible. And so you learn about them as well. So it's not all like Narnia and Turkish delight and fun. Some of it is like zombies. (laughs) And I spent three years running for my life and please never send me back. Um, So it's just really like every kind of element of magic is here. And it is creepy in the same way that Coraline is gets you. It's just like, (laughs) you know, it's like very unsettling. Um, And since Coraline is more like, it's the little things in that book, I think, you know, it's like the button eyes um, and the way that the not mother speaks, like it's the little things Mm -hmm. that that kind of creep you out about that book. Um, With Every Heart of Doorway, it's a little more, you know, the murder part is the creepy part. Um, But also a lot of the kids come back and she draws them or writes them in, in very like, they're just off a couple ticks because of their experiences. And they're just it's unsettling. It's, it's similar, I think. So that's Every Hearted Doorway by and McGuire. Unsettling is the right word.
1: I had, I struggled with this one because really the last thing I want to read is like creepy books about children. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not really my jam. Um, but I I was thinking about that, like, really sort of eerie, unsettling feeling. And the book I picked, which is not for children, but will give you a lot of those same feelings if you are a grown-up um, and have read Coraline, is The Mary Spinster, Tales of Everyday Horror um, by Mallory Ortberg, who recently announced his transition to Daniel, but the book says Mallory. So that's how you're going to find it. Um, and this is a series of short stories that are based on... Bible stories, Grim Brothers Grim fairy tales, um, in some cases like other children's classics like The Wind in the Willows or Frog and Toad. Uh, so there are a lot of references in here and each story is this tiny dark gem. Um, they are so unsettling and so creepy and they kind of increase in creepiness as the book goes on and some of them do have like a touch of humor to them but it's a very dark humor um and some of them like the velveteen rabbit one was just like straight up like body horror and I was like nope like nope 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 um but it 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 reminded me of Coraline in that regard where you're just like oh this is gonna give me nightmares even though like not that much is happening like it's not like you know, big telegraphed horror. It's like the much more creepy, insidious kind of horror. Um, and I thought that Ortberg just did it so well. It's just really well done. And I think that if you are, again, a grown-up or, like, teenager, but, yeah, mostly grown-up, um, who is looking for that feeling that you got from Coraline, you will find that feeling here. So that is the Mary Spinster Tales of Everyday Horror. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, put it in the freezer. Um, so. So our second sponsor is Force of Nature by Jane Harper. Speaking of books that are creepy, this is about five colleagues who are forced to go on a corporate retreat in the wilderness, so they pick up their backpacks and start walking down the muddy path, but one of the five women does not come back out of the woods. This is a sequel to The Dry, uh, which was Jane Harper's debut and made a huge splash last year. We have lots of fans of that book um, among the Book riot contributors and also Book riot insiders. People are always talking. About it, um, and Force of Nature brings back Detective Aaron Falk to investigate this case of the women at the corporate retreat. Like, don't go to corporate retreats in the woods. This is my <laughs> this is my takeaway from this book. Don't go to corporate retreats in the woods, like ever. So, and each of the women, the four women who have returned, have a different story. So there's lots of secrets and betrayals. Um, if you are a fan of Tana French, for example, you're definitely going to want to pick this up. So again, that's Force of Nature by Jane Harper, uh, sponsored by Flatiron Books. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. The Graveyard Book. This Graveyard. one is actually one of my favorite to find a pick for. Tell me about. Tell me about yours.
0: Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, I went with. Elizabeth and Zenobia by Jessica Miller. I think I got fixated on the like kid talks to dead people kind <laughs> of yeah, part of the Graveyard Book. Um, so this is like a really lovely middle grade novel um, that's very like Victorian in a it's Bronte. It, is there a word like an adjective Brontesian? Like I need there. <gasps> I need the Brontes-
1: Brontesian. Yes,
0: that it's, it's it needs to be its own thing because like Victorian is. It's something a little different, like Mm -hmm. it's Victorian, but creepier and wilder and a little more, you know, Mm -hmm. more creepy houses. So that's what this is. Um, So Elizabeth and Zenobia are best friends and they, uh, except Zenobia, nobody can see her. So except Elizabeth. So there you go. There's that. And they are on a train going off to Withering House, which is her father's family house that he grew up in. Um, It's old and creepy and their mother is uh, gone and um, their father's very sad about it. Well, Elizabeth's father, Zenobia, is not real. Re-qu- air quotes, real, whatever. Um, and uh, when they get there, it's, it's like so comfortingly creepy. Like it has all of those tropes that you like out of a big gothic um, house novel, like a housekeeper that mysteriously appears at all the wrong times, you know, um, which is great. And creepy wallpaper and dusty books and mirrors that might show you things you don't want to see. Um, why is why is everything so cold and drafty? A whole wing that we're not allowed to explore. So, of course, most of the book is about her going off to explore that wing. Um, and so their father is, has taken them there to, like, recover from the loss of, their, of her, of his wife, um, and to work. He's, like, a plant, oh, my gosh, plant scientist. I'm sorry, flu brain. A a botanist. Biologist. Botanist, yes, he's a botanist. Um, and so he is ostensibly, like, taking her out to the moors so that he can Making write a new book, cataloging, cataloging the local plants, but it's really about, you know, like, grieving. And so she is pretty much left to her own devices, Elizabeth. And so her and her friend Zenobia go off to explore the house and discover its mysteries. And along the way, they realize that her father had a sister uh, when he was growing up who disappeared. And they think maybe she's still, like, in the house somewhere. And so they go, like, off hunting. And Elizabeth and Zenobia are great foils. Elizabeth, the real human girl, is very, like, shy and... Um, cautious. And Zenobia is like an Edgar Allan Poe character. Like she's very dramatic (laughs) and likes to wear black and spends their whole time in the house hunting for spirits. And she thinks it's all very romantic, you know. Um, And it's just like charming and and lovely. And it lacks some of the scary bits that the graveyard book has. But in the same way that like all of those ghost characters are like, oh, you know, like they're just kind of all the best, like coming together to take care of this little boy. Um, Every, every character in this book is like, a little bit charming, like charming and quirky, um, and everybody's dead. <laughs> well, not everybody. Like, that's not Zenobia, mostly. Um, and also maybe their father's sister, or maybe she's alive and just still lives in the house, or maybe she's dead and lives still in the house. You don't know. So, yeah, that's Elizabeth and Zenobia by Jessica Miller.
1: Oh, man, now I need to read that.
0: <laughs> Amanda. It's cute. It's cute
1: um I also I was thinking of things that were spooky uh you know like spooky but also fun and cute this what's that cute yeah exactly cute and fun and, but, but, you know, a little bit dark, but not super dark. Um, because in my head, Graveyard Book is, like, the less creepy cousin to Coraline. Like, it's mm-hmm. much less scary um, and has, like, a little bit more adventure to it as opposed to just straight up, like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, everything is weird and dark. Um, and so this is one of my new favorite books. The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste is the one I picked. And this is so good. Oh, my God, this book. It gave me so many, like fuzzy feelings and also like a little bit of shivers which is exactly what I was looking for um it's about a young girl named Corinne who is pretty brave like she's not afraid of the scorpions oh and it takes place in the Caribbean Um, So she's not afraid of the scorpions or the boys who are teasing her. And she's definitely not afraid of the jumbies, which she's very sure don't exist. Um, There are all these woods near her village. And people say, you know, that, oh, like, don't go out after dark because the jumbies will get you. But she's just like, whatever. Like, that's not real. Um, (laughs) I've been in the woods lots of times and nothing bad has ever happened to me. Except for one day, uh, there maybe is something in the woods with big yellow eyes. And she's like a little bit freaked out, but she's like, well, whatever. It's. I'm sure it's going to be fine. <laughs> and then the next sure. day at the market, there is a new stranger in town, a very beautiful stranger, uh, who then shows up at Corinne's house cooking dinner for Corinne's father. Um, and Corinne, side note, lost her mother when she was very little. Um, her mother died. And so she is like not sure about this new lady who's coming around and then it turns out that the Jumbies are real and they're trying to take back the island from the people who came there after them right because humans settled the island after the Jumbies were already there Um, and Corinne and her friends have to figure out how to save the day so this has you know like dark monsters and demons and scary woods but it's also got like really adorable fun child characters um, Corinne Rin and her friends, there's two little boys who are sort of homeless on the island and, like, up to no good and troublemakers, but also really good-natured and funny. Um, And one of them is mute, and it's really kind of great because nobody... Like, he just doesn't speak, and nobody makes a big deal out of it. It's not a big deal. Um, And one of the other little girls um, is from – it's, like, she reads as Indian, uh, and and her family, you know, they wear saris, and um, she's got, like, long braids, and and she's just, like – it's just, like, all normal. Like, there's no – there's just such nice diversity on the page. It's so lovely to just like have these kids like interacting with each other, just like kids do, you know, they don't know that they're supposed to be different or whatever. It's just, they're just people having an adventure together. Um, and there's a really great like action sequences with like, you know, the adults trying to fend off the jumbies and the kids getting in the middle of it and they have this wacky plan and is it going to go okay? Um, and it just was so much fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it is actually the first in a series. The second one is called The Rise of the Jumbies and is out also. So if you, like me, end up loving this book, there is more for you. But yeah, it's it's about family. It's about found family and friendships. It's about understanding the kind of place that you live in and what divisions there might be and actually how to heal those divisions and not just like be a divided area. Um, I'm like caging here because I don't want to give any spoilers. But anyway, there's a lot going on in this book, even though at its surface, it is just like a delightful, fun, slightly spooky adventure. So I really super loved it. Uh, So that's The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste.
0: Neverwhere...
1: This yeah. is actually one of the ones that I haven't read by yeah, yet. Yeah,
0: same. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: <laughs> I read the description a lot, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I did too. Um, and I, read, I went through the reviews trying to get, like, the meat of it. And it's mm-hmm. it's like an other London story, right? Yes. <clears throat> so I um, went with a other Smoky Mountain, Tennessee <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> book. Um, I picked The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe. Um, which is the first book in the Tufa series. And this does, it doesn't play, take place in London. It takes place in the U.S. and the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Um, and the main character's name is Bronwyn, and she comes from the Tufa people, which are people who live in the mountains in Appalachia who are have always been there, like have been there when the first European settlers came. They were already there. Um, and there's even rumors that like when the Native American people came from wherever they came from, the Tufa were already there. Uh, And so she is one of those. She's a member of that community. And they're very isolated up in the mountains. uh, And they're very, uh, they don't like insular. Except Bronwyn is not like that. She is, uh, doesn't want to stay in Tennessee, kind of wants to see the rest of the world and see what else is out there. So she leaves and she joins the army and she goes off to Iraq. Uh, And she's wounded in Iraq. She doesn't remember her, uh, she doesn't remember being attacked, but apparently she like killed 10 men and survived and was very brutally injured and so she's come home and is, like, given a hero's welcome and all of that, uh, except she's come home to some troubles. Like, her ex-boyfriend, who's also a Tufa, has, has gone a little bit to seed um, and is causing a lot of trouble in the neighborhood. And also there's a haint that is lurking around her house, like a, like a ghosty, you know, um, that is foretelling the death of someone in her family. She thinks, and everybody thinks, it's her mother, that her mother is going to die. And, and uh, also there's, like, a new preacher in town who, like, does not understand why these people won't go to church and, like, why they're so hostile <laughs> to him and to outsiders in general. And then the more that you read this book, you know, I, I, I knew going in that it was, like, kind of an urban fantasy and a, a magical realist. Um, And... But what really drew me to it was Tennessee. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't feel like there's a lot of books about um, Appalachia in general. And so that's why I started reading it. And then you get, like... Something is super weird. <laughs> like it's not just that these people are magical, it's that like they're ancient. And what 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 even are you? <laughs> you know? And so they take that like that thing that Gaiman is so good at that like ancient deep earth like from the core of the universe kind of magical being and then like plops it into the backwoods. <coughs> Excuse me. Um and so the the main thing that Bronwyn is dealing with is that she's lost her ability to play Music um, and this is the thing that the Tufa draw their power from, including their power to physically heal faster than human beings, than other humans. Um, so she's dealing with all of these things like internal strife and her own PTSD, trying to figure out how to play again. Um, and like the the climax of the novel is kind of, is like is a spoiler because it reveals who is supposed to die. So I'm not going to tell you about it. Um, but it it's like it does that same thing that Gaiman does where it's you're looking at like you're peeking it behind the curtain of um, like the underground magical parts of a town that you thought you knew or an area of the world that you thought you knew. Uh, and in reality, what's going on back there is like creepy and mystical and magical and fairies and goblins and weirdness, <laughs> except in Tennessee. So, yay. So that's The Hum and the Shiver by Alex Bledsoe.
1: Yeah, I also leaned into the urban fantasy, um, like there's a world just underneath the one that we see, and you suddenly find yourself trapped in the middle of it, and you don't know what's going on, and now you have to deal with it, um, and so I picked Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson, which I think does that same thing really, really well. Um, it takes place in sort of an unnamed Middle Eastern, very sort of locked down state, and the main character, Aleph, uh, that's his hacker name he is a young arab indian hacker um and he is sort of like a gray hat um he helps you know clients like who are outlaws and um watched groups uh to avoid surveillance but he is like not himself particularly active he just is like you know this is what he does um And he has fallen in love with a young woman who is jilting him for a marriage with a prince uh, who was chosen by her parents. So he's super bummed about that. And then his computer gets breached by the state's electronic security forces. So now his clients and his own neck are on the line. Um, And then... It turns out that the new fiance of his ex is like the head of state security and they come after Aleph and so he has to go underground and in the meantime he has accidentally been handed this secret book um, called The Thousand and One Days which is, turns out to be a book connected to the djinn um, who he didn't realize were real uh, surprise and so now he's sort of in this he's on the run he's also involved in a super supernatural subplot and then there's like all of the politics of his you know quote-unquote IRL life and it is so action-packed there is so much that goes on there are so many layers to the mythology and the supernatural that get sort of squeezed in here and you're just like every corner that Aleph turns you're just like oh my gosh what is he gonna encounter now and it's always something new and something fascinating um I just found this totally like I just I just got so sucked into it and there aren't that many books that take like computer hacking and also, you know, like genies and mythological creatures and put them together. And this book does that in a really fun and interesting way. And obviously, it's also very uh, thoughtful about politics and and the state of things in the Middle East. Um, so there's a lot going on here. And I feel like it all is just really interesting and 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 it gives that same sort of you know you think you know what the world is like and then you unpeel this layer and suddenly there's so much more to find so that is Aleph the Unseen by G. Willow Wilson and I think that's where we're gonna I think we're good. I think we've Hey-o. we have we have recommended some Neil Gaiman read likes, hopefully. Yeah. So yes, I hope you enjoy all of those. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance to leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, we super appreciate it. We love to see the feedback and it helps other people to find the show. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors. You can find me on social, uh, on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two Ns.
0: I'm on Instagram, and it's I'm Amanda Nelson. And now Amanda will go back to bed. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. And I will make some more business fingers. (laughs) We will
1: talk to you next time.